and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined again, back from the dead. It's my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I also thought that I was dead after listening to the mini episode that Dan put out. Very solemn, Dan, thank you very much. <laughs> and yes, I am, I'm still in the land of the living, just about. Though I am, uh, you know, I've got a bit of COVID fatigue, which I'm sure many, 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 many people listening to this will have gone through themselves. It's pretty rubbish. And if you're out there listening to this, if you're a precious arrowhead who has yet to get COVID, do everything you can to avoid it. Yeah, that's all (laughs) I'm going to say about that. But yeah, I'm not here to give medical advice. I am here to discuss my choice for this fortnight. My stepmother is an alien. And I know that I did lose my sense of taste while I had COVID, but I actually really (laughs) enjoyed this one. And I'm intrigued, intrigued to know what Dan thinks of it. But before we get to that, Dan, why don't you give our precious arrowheads the plot of My Stepmother is an Alien? The plot of My Stepmother is an Alien is Dan Aykroyd fucks a baby that's shaped like Kim Basinger. Interesting. I thought you'd go with this angle because... When I was, I did some kind of research around it and I found an article, I think, was it on the Mary Sue or somewhere like that, which was basically talking about this trope, this kind of 80s trope of the naive, innocent love interest. Uh, so yeah. other movies like Splash was one of them, I believe. And yeah, yeah. There, there are many examples of this in the 80s. Is that the extent of the plot, by the way? Okay, so to go into it a little bit more, uh, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is a science man who blunders his way into doing a thing no one thought was possible. Some aliens spot it from a distance, realise that this is the only way to save their dying planet, so birth a new creature that will be put will be made uncomfortable. I've just realised we need to be recommending Under the Skin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That will be sort of forced wretchedly into the shape of a sexy lady um, so that she can go down and seduce Dan Aykroyd to get him to recreate his scientific experiment and and save the home planet. And diaphanous nightrobes ensue. Yes, that, that, that is correct. Now, just an explanation for why I chose this film. Uh, I used to be obsessed with John Lovitz when I was younger. Uh, as... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think, you know, the critic was incredible, like one of the greatest yeah. animated series of all time. And, you know, I don't know if it's on any streaming channels or anything like that. But if you haven't seen the critic and you like this podcast or you like on cinema at the cinema, which is basically this podcast, then... I think you should check out The Critic. That's a a sub-recommendation. But yeah, I also used to love Dan Aykroyd and Kim Bassinger. So this was a a VHS that I watched quite a lot when I was growing up. But I had absolutely no memory of it going into this rewatch. And the first thing I noticed was that it's an hour and 47 minutes long. I was sure it was under 90 minutes, as all films should be. So I thought this would be a relatively easy watch for us. But um, but no. No, it was uh, nearly two hours long. How did you feel during those two hours, Dan? What was your range of emotions watching this? Because I get a sense that you think this film really sucks. I I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I will say, I thought Passenger 
like acted very well. I basically thought pretty pretty much everyone except Dan Aykroyd acted pretty well. Yeah, I've never I've never been in love with Aykroyd as a as an actor, and I, I just find him quite off putting. Whoa, 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 whoa! But the, this the, the... this from the person <laughs> that made me watch Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, I hadn't seen Nothing But Trouble, but I had seen the makeup from Nothing But Trouble, which is, if anything, more off-putting than regular face to Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another sub-recommendation, I guess, unless that's in your recommendations, in which case, sorry for No, no, it. that's not... I'm not... I'm, I, I, I'm never going... I can't, in uh, all good faith, <laughs> recommend really any films with Dan Aykroyd in them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that surprises me because, um, spoiler alert for my recommendations, it's going to be one of those weeks, but I'm suggesting that people watch Ghostbusters, Dan, because Ghostbusters might be the greatest movie ever made. And Dan Aykroyd, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but he is in Ghostbusters. And yeah, hence my um, affection for him when I was growing up, because he's in Ghostbusters. How can you not like any of the Ghostbusters? That definitely, uh, that definitely earned him a lot of credit <laughs> as far as things people would watch with him in. Correct. Absolutely because, correct. like, oh my goodness, this, this movie, I'd like stuff like Coneheads, it just, none of it, none of it ever vibed with me. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely bits in Ghostbusters that I love, and I'm not just talking about the special effects stuff, which is obviously amazing. And I really liked it when I was a kid. Revisiting it, I'm not that into it as a as a story. Still love the special effects. I think uh, Murray's amazing in it. I like. I think like there's a lot of good stuff in it. None of it's Aykroyd. Well, I disagree. I think yeah, Ray I mean, stands. <laughs> yeah, it's all subjective. But Ray stands is kind of an essential element of that dynamic, and I think they really found kind of the perfect role for Aykroyd. I think everyone's playing to their strengths in that film. And yeah, that kind of perfect chemistry and dynamic wouldn't be the same if you took any of them out, obviously. He is essentially Ray Stans in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not a million miles from Ghostbusters, or at least it's attempting to be not a million miles away from Ghostbusters. Um, But the magic is not there. The charm isn't there. I definitely agree with that. Like, this is nowhere near uh, at the level of Ghostbusters, obviously. But I was actually weirdly, even though I chose it, I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, I really liked was the score. Obviously, Alan Silvestri recycles his yeah. Back to the Future score initially. It's almost kind of note for note in the early stages. <laughs> but then it kind of turns into something a bit kind of funkier. So that was fun. And yeah. You mentioned Kim Basinger's performance. She kind of gets this Barbarella-style intro, and then in her first major scene, she wears an outfit that Jack Nicholson's Joker would probably want to see her in. She smokes a carrot and then does uh, a neat bit of surreal comedy. I think she's great in this movie. I wish she'd done more comedy. I actually don't know... I can't think of many other examples of of comedic turns from her. She's in Blind Date, obviously, which is, I think, a lot more problematic than uh, My Stepmother is an Alien. Oh, the 80s. But yeah, (laughs) can you think of any other comedy stuff that she did no i was I, I racked my brains about this too although not hard enough to do my due diligence and check <laughs> no nothing occurred to me either like the thing is i like i she had and this is unfair on her i realize having had a cursory look uh, at her uh her canon she'd sort of filled that place in my mind where she was 
one of those sort of like professionally beautiful people who then got to go and act because everybody wanted to see that more of them on screen you mm -hmm. know when models just get to act and i'd sort of forgotten that she actually had some pretty decent acting chops oh yeah i think she's fantastic she's absolutely fantastic and she's kind of maintained it like i mean i thought she was wonderful in la confidential which is yeah absolutely a film i really love and yeah, it was great to see her pop up in The Nice Guys, which I guess is kind of a comedy, but her role in it isn't really comedy. She's kind of, she, It's not at all. She's kind of a straight person. But yeah, no, that that is kind of an interesting angle. And, and obviously, first appearance from Alison Hannigan from Buffy, going on a date with Seth Green from Buffy. So any Buffy fans who haven't seen this, that's an extra layer of appeal, I suppose. <laughs> a, a, a layer of appeal for me is I, I love the handbag penis alien. Which uh, feels more like I something from a Henenlotter movie. <laughs> How did you feel about that? Yeah, practical my, effect, Dan. You love my, practical effects. <laughs> I do love practical effects. Uh, my notes just say, why does the alien assistant look like she's got a horse dick in her back? <laughs> there you go. I really laughed at the guy getting controlled by the handbag into his car. And the line, yes, I've got to get home to that good pie, <laughs> which is a br was brilliant delivery. That <laughs> uh, did really make me laugh. It features Kim Bassinger kissing someone's suit, which she also did in Batman and is slightly weird typecasting. But the kissing scene also gave me a genuine laugh, which I won't spoil here. But there is good stuff in here, Dan. What did you like? I mean, a, a couple of the like her performance was pretty good. A couple of the jokes landed. It was it was quite a trial for me, I'll be honest, mm -hmm. getting through. One of the things that, like, I, I it was one of those movies where I started to sort of like read up about the movie during the movie because it was difficult and i've got some great stuff for you that you may or may not know already one thing is i was very surprised to find that it was a pg-13 because it is i would say arguably a little too sexy in one scene yes yes pg-13 yeah, and yeah. when i was talking to jen about this while we were watching it and she was and she, she was like yeah but it's like a it's like a raunchy comedy and i'm like i really don't think it is i think it's meant to be a kid's film <laughs> I don't uh, think I don't yeah, think PG thirteen necessarily is kids' film. I think PG thirteen is basically the equivalent of a fifteen in the UK. You can anyone like a kid can go and see like a thirteen year old can go and see a PG thirteen on their own. So if anything, I'd say it's closer to a twelve. Yeah, I don't know. I th I think I do think it is slightly. Yeah, I do think it is slightly different. Like you can have nudity in PG thirteen movies, for example. But uh, I believe it's non-sexual nudity and light nudity for comedic purposes. Yeah, and so this one doesn't actually have nudity. Um, so I think that's kind of how it no, crosses that line, absolutely, or stays within the boundaries of of the PG thirteen. But the point is, in a kids film, you just wouldn't have nudity full stop. Whereas in a fifteen. You would. Yeah. And I I think some pretty like hardcore horror movies have been PG thirteen. Yeah. I'm sure like Well, I'm having this conversation with a studio at the moment about uh, about PG thirteen horror work. Oh nice, what okay. We can, what we can do and tonality within that. So what kind of advice are they giving? Well they're I mean they literally said we want kids to be able to go and see this. That's yeah, yeah. Why we're doing a PG thirteen. They want it like I don't know if I'm I'm pushing my agenda a little on them. <laughs> But we were talking about creature design and, and, and there's a couple of deaths in it, this film. And and I was and I'm still costing it and designing it and stuff. And I said, Do you have a ratings obligation, your investors, or is the studio requiring you to, to get a certain rating in the cut? Because there's no point designing loads of big gore gags and then having to chop them out because it's gotta be a PG thirteen. And I realized I said, because it's gotta be a PG thirteen, very dismissively. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, and they were like yeah we do want it to be a pg-13 and so what we started talking about was like i got i was saying okay well so we can start playing with the uncanny and making feel people feel uncomfortable but mm -hmm. without showing explicit gore so you know I, I still hope we can deliver something that's that's scary oh yeah uh, but the word fun was used a lot like right. we'll be it's i mean yeah it's it's an exciting thing to be doing but it's a very different thing to be doing yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can understand why that'd be frustrating. But Drag Me to Hell was a PG thirteen. That's probably the most kind of famous example of the boundaries being kind of pushed quite far. And I guess all you need to do is change the color of the blood, and you're okay. Like if it's black, yeah, or green, you'll be fine. Because yeah, I, I well, that's mean... it. If it's nice and supernatural, then exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. The supernatural ones do tend to to be. Um, pg-13 but anyway we, we've gotten off track a tiny bit but <laughs> yes i'm i'm sorry that the partial nudity offended you dan and your uh, uh purient just puritan just, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a prude. i don't go to the cinema to be aroused <laughs> <laughs> that's what bus stations are for <laughs> i'll say one other thing that i really enjoyed i love the fact that they chose a shirley mclean biography for celeste to read yeah. And like she really reacted to that one kind of the most. And you can actually see something of McLean in Bassinger in that moment. I don't know if that was deliberate, but yeah, I really do wish she'd done more comedy. Like you could see her in a Billy Wilder style comedy for sure. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Look, it's an objectively shit movie, but um, it is fun. <laughs> and I really, I really love the ending. Like we're not going to get into it, obviously, but I did find the ending quite moving. Uh, up until a point, <laughs> which we're not going to spoil, but it does involve John Lovitz. How did Jen feel about it? Did she did she enjoy it or did? Uh... I mean, I think we were we were. I think she she might have enjoyed it slightly more than me, but I think she was pretty much on the same on yeah, the same page. Fair enough. Do you want to hear my my fun bit of backstory for it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it was it was rewritten based on an earlier script by a chap called Jericho Stone, who you will have seen in the credits, who had pitched it to Paramount Pictures originally uh, as a drama. Oh, wow. And so although the although the film itself, the content, like the the, 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 big, the, great, the big strokes were the same, mm -hmm. do you want to know what the dramatic subtext was? Oh, always. It was an allegory for child abuse. Oh, hence your... Uh... So... Oh, but no, actually, in totally independent. I wrote that. I wrote that in my notes long before I knew this. Right, right, right. So the it's Alison Hannigan's character thinks that her new step parent is an alien, mm -hmm. and no one will believe her, mm -hmm. which is meant to be allegorical for a child trying to speak out about abuse they are suffering at the hands of a step parent. No, that's interesting. Well, possibly my most hated plot of all plots is the plot where someone knows something that is evident and no one believes them. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a ghost or, like, I don't know, a crime syndicate operating next door. I fucking hate that type of plot. Like, I find it so frustrating and so annoying. So I'm very glad they didn't go in that direction. Though who knows, they, they might have, if it was cast slightly differently, I'm not sure if I want Dan Aykroyd in a serious drama where it's an allegory for child abuse, but... Yeah, if they'd have cast it slightly differently and gone in that angle, you know, I could see that working. Yeah, I mean, like, what a what a bleak jumping off point for, for such a frivolous film. I actually think it's kind of admirable that they set out to make something kind of exploring that. Oh, I agree. Yeah. 
But yeah, with hindsight, it's very, very weird <laughs> to watch this film and to know that that was the starting point for sure. That they were like, well, I like the bones, but what if it's a lot funnier? Not a lot funnier, like a little bit funnier. <laughs> <laughs> a lot funnier, Dan. Come on, this is a lot funnier than a child abuse movie. I, I one would hope. It's a bit, it's, it's definitely a bit funnier. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on that absolute shocker, we're going to move on to recommendations based on the movie. How about you go first, Dan? What would you like to recommend based on My Stepmother is an Alien? It's from 1981. It's a children's comedy with sci-fi and fantasy elements that is arguably a little bit too much for some of its core audience. It's Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits. Ah, nice. This was an, a staple favourite of mine when I was young. I don't know how many times I saw it, but I saw it a lot. It's uh, about a young boy who gets taken on a series of interdimensional or... I guess not interdimensional, intertime zone adventures with a group of little people who are the the sort of office assistants and engineers of God, this giant floating head. Um, it's a classic. I assume I'm describing it mostly to people who've seen it. But if you haven't seen it, it is uh, a delight. It stands up uh, to rewatches as an adult. And if you are a, a parent of a, of a young child around sort of like 10-ish, it, if they've got a little bit of an appetite for the, the spooky stuff, it's an absolutely perfect movie. It's a little scary in places, but there's nothing inappropriate. It's got a bit of history in it. It's got some lies about history in it. It's great. Yeah, really fun film. And actually, I wrote a feature about Time Bandits for Arrow recently. So if you go onto their website, oh, nice. um, there's kind of a, a long read about the making of, um, of Time Bandits. Because uh, obviously it's available on Arrow as well. Good recommendation, Dan. I am going to get Ghostbusters out of the way because what can I say? It's Ghostbusters, maybe the greatest movie of all time. As I said before, Aykroyd is basically Ray Starnes in this movie, but the Ray Starnes who got a blowjob from a ghost. And that seems to be kind of the starting point for my stepmother is an alien. So in that uh, <laughs> respect, <laughs> it would work as basically a perfect double bill. Save Ghostbusters for last, though, so you can end on a high, unless you're Dan. In which case, you might as well just break the disc and throw it in the bin. Because that's how he rolls when it comes just, to Ghostbusters. Yeah, end with uh, Cement Garden. <laughs> oh, God. Right, <laughs> Dan, what's next from you? Is it Cement Garden? <laughs> no, next from me is a 1984 comedy sci-fi, a, a fish-out-of-water comedy um, that I saw when I was far too young. And it fascinated me. I revisited it in adulthood, and it's great. Uh, it's from John Sayles. It's The Brother from Another Planet. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a sort of pretty underseen, I'd say, sci-fi about a an alien who presents as a, a sort of a youngish black man in America uh, in the 80s. He's being chased by bounty hunters through Harlem, and it's it's more of a it's quite subtle, but it's more of a comedy than than I remembered when I watched it the first time. I saw it in a tent at a theater festival when I was probably about 11, quite late at night, and I was uh, enchanted by it. Sort of a magical thing, but yeah, it's a really fun, underseen fish out of water sci-fi about uh, an alien visitor who looks human. So that's my tenuous link to my stepmother as an alien. Fantastic. Well, from brother from another planet to girlfriend from hell, which is my next recommendation. Now this one's available on uh, Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. It is super fun and 
very tonally similar to my stepmother is an alien except the wacky love interest in this one isn't an alien but the devil herself um but she has a similar fish out of water in awesome spandex vibe like my stepmother is an alien it is slightly shit but also very very fun with some standout weirdo moments it also has some sci-fi elements and a loser lead so girlfriend from hell if you like stepmother you'll like this and i recommend it to you and you only precious arrowhead you, you freak yeah <laughs> i'm also a freak all right let's go into what we've watched from the past couple of weeks dan what have you got for us first i was looking at uh the mondo macabro catalog the other day uh, a little while ago now and i saw a title that i thought had sold out on dvd and i thought oh goodness that's exciting they must have done a blu-ray of it and i can finally watch it and uh, no just some weird blip had sent me back to a page of out of print titles <laughs> And I couldn't get it. And so I searched and searched, uh, and eventually I found a French Blu-ray of it, which had English subtitles, which is exciting, because you know, that seems to be more common now. It used to be that French discs were largely out of out of reach if you couldn't speak French. But it uh, Claude Moulot's uh, The Blood Rose, Rose et Cochet, from 1970. It's one of the weirder remakes of Les Yeux Sans Visage. It's an artist in a tower with a wife with a burnt-off face. He has two little people who work for him who he seems to have inherited with the with the castle there's some quite fun backstory stuff about how the wife got her face like this it's not as deft or logical as uh in the lizard's on visage proper yeah it's it's just a weird little slice of euro horror i'm not entirely sure it's worth all the effort i put into tracking it down but if i don't recommend it then then i feel like i've wasted my time oh that's no, always a, a good reason a to film. recommend stuff dan it's it's, <laughs> it's it's very very weird it's okay. very weird uh, and it's got some very nice photography and lots of pretty shots of French castles in the countryside. So, okay. yeah. I mean, you know what you're getting into with that kind of thing, and it's, it, it delivers well on that. Cool. Excellent. Well, I have a Rose movie myself, uh, Aloha, Bobby and Rose, uh, which is from 1975. Now, this one starts out as kind of an edgy romantic drama that tonally feels very very paul thomas anderson now everyone knows that anderson appropriated a lot of uh, elements from robert altman movies but this feels like a very under acknowledged influence um for paul thomas anderson like he has definitely seen it and it has and i'm really not going to spoil this because the less you know the better but it has a very pta style turn that changes the tone of the film significantly so that's all I'll say about the plot, because honestly, if you can avoid finding out anything about it, you'll be in for quite a ride. But yeah, huge recommendation, especially if you love movies like Magnolia, Inherent Vice or Licorice Pizza. Aloha, Bobby and Rose from 1975. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? Uh, so I'm going to do that thing you love, Sam, where I kind of recommend a double bill. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's two, two adaptations of the same story. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen neither version until recently, 
Dan Gomer, who you know, who works for me, asked me if I'd seen the more modern version, and I hadn't. And he gushed about it. I was slightly surprised. It didn't necessarily feel like his kind of thing. But I'm incredibly glad that he pushed it, and he actually brought it round, and we, we did a double bill. So we watched both versions back-to-back. So there's a recent uh, BFI uh, remaster and re-release of the 1954 Rudolf Cartier's uh, directed Nigel Neal adaptation of 1984. Mm. Which I'd not seen that version before, which uh, you know stars Peter Cushing and kind of put him on the map as an actor. Um, it was originally made for TV. It was actually the first thing that played ever on TV in some bits of, of Britain. And there's a great intro you can find online that's sort of apologising to the people who are about to settle down to watch the first ever TV broadcast <laughs> in some bits of Scotland. <laughs> like, look, it's really bleak. We're very sorry. There was meant to be a comedy on before it, but there was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> So this is this is what you get. Please try not to be too sad. <laughs> but then we we followed that up immediately uh, with the Northern Ballet adaptation from a few years ago, which is uh, a a dialogue free in all interpretive dance version of 1984. And while not normally my speed, it was absolutely fantastic. It's out on Blu-ray. Uh, I, I think it's one of those things where you'd you'd probably be able to get a lot from it if you didn't know 1984, but as you probably do, I, w- I would also say I would recommend knowing another version. It double bills very well with the 1954 version. So there you go, that's my double recommendation. Oh, nice. Uh, is it, isn't it 1956, the original ni- 1984? Or, or is there... That might, that might be a... No, I think they remade it. Ah, oh, okay. All right. Good, good. Well, I think they remade it. So 1956 was the film version. Yes. I think. Ah, uh, yes. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. That and 1954 was the, the the play for today, or what? It did not that, not play okay. for today, but you know what I mean, like made for made for TV you, version, you, and it's amazing. You know my my weird mania when it comes to film years. So, um, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, from 1984 to a film from 1984, um, our choices sync up very nicely. Uh, this fortnight we never planned this so uh that's a nice little coincidence we've had a rose movies and now 1984 movies but it is the hit that i am recommending directed by stephen frears it stars terence stamp as a former grass living in spain where he's tracked down by two violent hitmen played by john hurt and tim roth so Quite a spectacular cast. These guys plan to take him to Paris where he'll meet his maker, but things don't necessarily go according to that plan. Tense, exciting, and existentially rich. It is a beautiful movie, exactly as good as you'd expect from that amazing cast. There's a lot of stuff about life and and, and grief, and yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. So the hit from 1984... I saw it on the Criterion channel, which does feel a little bit like cheating when it comes to finding cool movies. But yeah, if you have Criterion channel, I really recommend the hit. And let's hope that someone puts it out on a fancy Blu-ray soon because it definitely deserves it. All right. Well, extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. There's none. There's none. None. None this this time. But what we do have for you is our social media information, which is certainly thrilling. Thrilling. Dan, can you exclusively reveal how people can follow you on Twitter? Uh, On... uh, (laughs) No, I can't. Uh, I'm... I'm at 13FingerFX uh, on Twitter and then also conveniently on Instagram. 
Hey, I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. I have been atrocious at Twitter this year. I think I post very irregularly. But yesterday I was very, very pleased with a joke I made about Joker 2, essentially being Todd Phillips ripping off Martin Scorsese's New York, New York instead of the king of comedy and taxi driver. But yeah, that was monstrously underappreciated. So I think I'm going to go on strike for another six months. So if you'd like to be part of that, then follow me (laughs) at Sam Ashurst, all one word, it's just my name. Or on Instagram, which I seem to be using a little bit more because we've got a puppy. Uh, That is at Sam Ashurst 23. And then I am at Sam Ashurst on Letterboxd as well. And uh, eventually... Hopefully before the end of the year, I will be putting up a big mega letterbox of all the things that we talk about on this show. But yeah, intermittent reviews and stuff in the meantime. So yeah, that is it from me. Dan, do you have any final words? Two films in the theatre at the moment. Oh uh, yeah. They are the very opposite ends of the spectrum artistically. Uh, you could go and see Dashcam or you could go and see Earwig. And once you've done that, it's very soon I'll be allowed to share behind the scenes pictures of those on Twitter and Instagram. So that's why you should follow me. Oh Dan, if you are expecting to wrap this up after we've said our goodbyes quickly and go off and do whatever it is that you had planned for this evening, you need to rethink that because... I want to talk to you about Dashcam after we get off the air. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we wait a couple of months and we'll do it on air? Hmm, Yeah, well, (laughs) uh, (laughs) let's talk about it off air first and then you can make up your own mind whether you want me to say these things on the mic. Um, (laughs) I want want witnesses. (laughs) Um, Anyway, thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye.